Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Thanks for joining us for ITE Talks Transportation. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. Our guest this month is Carol Schweiger. She's the president of Schweiger Consulting, as well as co-chair of the TRB Committee on Innovative Public Transportation Services and Technologies. Our topic, mobility as a service and mobility on demand. Carol, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thank you so much, Bernie. I'm really thrilled to be here. As I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to be focusing our time during this podcast on mobility as a service, mobility on demand. To kick things off, Carol, can you give us your thoughts on how you see MOS and MOD strategies fitting into the transportation ecosystem? Absolutely. I think they're both integral tools in a transportation ecosystem, and I guess when I think about it, there are really three primary reasons why I think that's true. I think, first of all, it's important for travelers to have an understanding of the mobility services that are available in their area in one place, rather than jumping from app to app or web page to web page. I think the second part of that is One thing that's critical are the partnerships that need to be developed for Moz and MOD to work well. So again, they need to be an integral part of that ecosystem. And finally, probably one of the more difficult parts of Moz and MOD is the payment. Kind of, again, the one-stop shop but being able to pay for multiple services just once rather than paying individual services to the individual providers. There's a lot of talk about the potential of these strategies to provide complete trips. What do you see as some of the potentials of Moz and MOD? Well, I think one sort of way of thinking these days, and this is actually a USDOT program right now. It's called the complete trip. I think when we examine the way travelers make trips, we have to look at the whole continuum from point A to point B. And that usually involves a number of steps that we don't always think about. For example, transitions from when you walk to a bus stop, but then you board the bus and you're not just potentially sitting down on the bus, but you're actually paying a fare. So you're making some transitions. Then you might alight from the vehicle and walk to your destination or take a bike share. We need to make sure that nowhere along that continuum is your trip, quote, broken. Mm -hmm. And I think MOS and mobility on demand, given the features that we've often talked about associated with those tools, 
will really allow us to give a little more assurance to people that that point A to point B trip can indeed be made the way it was planned. You talked about some of the things that it's hoped that this will accomplish. As I put together my transportation newsletters, I'm seeing news from around the world, and I'm seeing a lot about moss going on in many different countries, but not a whole lot happening here in the U.S. Just last month, July 2021, the city of Pittsburgh announced Move PGH, and that was called the first such system in the country. Is it fair to say the U.S. is lagging behind other nations when it comes to moss deployments? And if so, why do you think that's the case? I'm always torn about that question. It's somewhat true, and I'll explain why, and it's somewhat untrue. So, as you say, when you look around the world, there are a lot of MOZ deployments. However, a good number of them are pilot programs. And fortunately, they're being extensively evaluated so that we understand a lot about the potential for MOS and MOD. We understand about some governance issues. We understand about some other characteristics like how do you bundle services together and how do you charge for that, those kinds of things. So yes, when you look around the world outside of the US, there are a good number of cities and rural areas that have taken this on But frankly, there are not a lot of systems that are being sustained. Now, when you look at the U.S., I might argue that Move PGH is really not the first. But the reason why I say that is eventually they plan on adding the most, I think, difficult element of MAS, which is the integrated payment piece. That is the piece, when you look at the uh, MAS topology that was developed in Sweden several years ago, you sort of start with MAS at kind of stage zero as being a trip planner with no integration of services. Then you might have a trip planner where the services are actually integrated on the planner. Then you move into sort of the integrated payment piece. And that's just because it's complicated. I think there are a number of other agencies in the U.S. that are really moving towards MAS. And they're actually starting with the integrated payment piece because they're recognizing the complexity. So there I'm really talking about systems like LA Metro, Dayton, Ohio, Dallas area rapid transit. In fact, their model several years ago, they developed a roadmap for Moss and included all of the really critical steps like developing partnerships with the mobility service providers, which takes a while to do. So some of the other sort of examples from around the world that people really should be looking at, some of the more recent ones are the trial in Sydney, Australia. A lot of very good documentation has come out of that. A lot of very good lessons learned 
the Flex Denmark program, which is really providing universal MAS. And then just coming back to the U.S. very quickly, we've got some really good developments happening in the rural areas, one in Ithaca, New York, another one in some of the rural areas of California, and some other parts of our country as well. Another fairly recent development is in Japan. There are a lot of pilots going on, many of them in rural areas. You talked about payment being one of the big hurdles. Do you think some of the lessons learned from a system such as EasyPass, which involves multiple agencies in multiple states, can have application to a common payment system for a number of transit agencies? For example, in the New York metropolitan area, where you have a number of transit agencies such as the MTA, New Jersey Transit, and the Port Authority. Can we learn from what happened with electronic tolling and apply that to public transit? I think that's a great analogy, in fact. I think we learned a lot because when those systems were all under development, everybody had their own transponder. And then the recognition that, oh, people actually travel between states. (laughs) And I actually knew several people who had, at that time, had to get multiple transponders on their windshield to be able to travel, for example, between Massachusetts and Maine, where there were three separate tolling systems that were operating at the time. So I think that's a great analogy of what we can learn about the payment part of it. And the other thing is here, we're not just talking about integrating the payment among the public transit providers. We're extending that to many other mobility service providers like bike sharing systems, taxis, transportation networking companies like Uber and Lyft, other microtransit providers like Via. So I think there is a lot that we can learn from that tolling experience. During 2020 and continuing into 2021, we had the COVID pandemic, and that had a significant impact on the demand for transportation services. It seems, as we're recording this, that a lot of the transportation services are starting to see a resurgence of ridership and driving is increasing. Do you think COVID has sped up or slowed down the demand for MOS and MOD strategies? I think it's actually sped up the development. And to me, that's a good thing because we saw during COVID some really innovative parts of MOS and MOD that were being developed. A couple of examples that I can think of are telling the traveler not only when the next vehicle is arriving, but how crowded it is. So if someone wanted to maintain physical distancing while on a vehicle, they would be aware that the next bus or subway is at full capacity. Maybe they want to wait for the next one. I also have seen some really wonderful developments in bringing 
the traffic picture into Moss and Maud. When we started talking about these, we were very focused on public transport as the backbone of Moss and Maud, when in fact, that usually is the case. But we've recognized that, for example, if we're in a rural area, your trip on public transport might actually start with a drive to a park and ride lot. And you would need to know what the traffic conditions are if you were doing that. So our transportation system management and operations tools that are being developed are now actually looking at Moz as potentially an opportunity to integrate the sort of car side of things, which I may be one of the few people that thinks that that needs to be part of Moz too, but integrating that with the Moz platforms that are being developed. So I think we've sped up these tools actually being available in the marketplace. Carol, you mentioned Sydney as a good example of what is taking place around the world. Can you offer a prediction of where you see this headed? Are we going in the direction of Sydney, or do you think it will diverge in a somewhat different direction? Well, the good thing about the Sydney trial was it taught us a lot about packaging services that can be purchased using a MOS type platform. Um, It also taught us a lot about the impact of having a MOS or a mod tool on travel behavior. These are two things we really haven't known a lot about. But I'm somewhat cautionary that I'm not sure that they're going to head in exactly the direction of Sydney, but I think Sydney has given us some really, really important lessons that we need to consider when we're designing these systems that probably will be, my humble opinion, maybe they'll be a little more commonplace in five to 10 years, because we've got some really good starting places right now where we've got some integrated trip planners, some payment is being added into that, some of the agencies that I mentioned before. But trials like the one in Sydney, um, some of the other ones that are going on around the world, uh, there's some research that was done in Queensland, Australia as well, are going to teach us a lot about the impact of these tools. And I think we need to have a good understanding of that impact before we look at it. I make it sort of analogous to almost any transportation technology. When you go to a trade show and you look at some of those technologies and you say to yourself, wow, that would be awesome to have. But you almost have to step back and say, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? Mm -hmm. It may not be Moss and Maud that solve that problem. It could be other much more basic things. So we're going to learn a lot from 
the Sydney trials and things that have been done here in the States as well. In fact, the evaluation program with the Mobility on Demand Sandbox projects has really, really given us a lot of lessons that we'll be able to apply to these tools down the road. Again, looking at the future, we talked about Move PGH as an example of something that's already being deployed. Back in the day when we had much more business and personal travel, you'd go to different cities. Do you think people will have to download different apps for each area they visit, or could it be consolidated into one app that works in multiple cities? You have things like Apple Pay and Google Pay that work throughout the country and might get you over the payment hump, but you still have to incorporate functions such as reserving a vehicle or getting a transit schedule. That's something that I've done a lot of thinking about because I think initially, way back when the concept was developed in 2014, people thought about this that maybe eventually we could have a universal application and you wouldn't have to download multiple applications, like you said, with traveling in different places. I have a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, I think that is something that eventually we will be striving for, but transportation is very local and regional. And I go back to my talking about partnerships with the mobility services and that being a very important component of MOS and MOD. And I think we would need some way of maybe some universal way of making sure that all of the mobility services in a particular region was sort of buying into a common platform. Now, the analogy there is some of the common platforms in airline travel and the fact that many airlines actually use the same kind of platforms, or you could even look at it as looking at Google Flights. What does Google Flights do when you say, I want to go from Boston to Hamburg, Germany? I get all of the options, all of the airlines, all of the pricing. So I think we're going to strive for that. I don't think we've done enough deployments yet to see how long would it take. That also brings in the idea of standardization And the good news about that is the work that's being done in the Netherlands with standardizing MOS platforms. And there's a lot of great promise there. So I think it's going to happen. I'm not exactly sure when. (laughs) Again, Carol, trying to look into the future with Move PGH that was announced by the city of Pittsburgh, it was government agencies taking the lead. I think back to when 511 systems were being deployed throughout the U.S. It was the state DOTs in most instances that were taking the lead. But after a few years, some states said, hey, why should we be putting in this investment when we have services such as Waze and Google Maps where we can feed them the information? 
Those private sector services go with you as you travel from Massachusetts into New Hampshire and Vermont. I don't have to worry about dialing New Hampshire 511 or Vermont 511 when I cross the border. Do you think government might take more of a backseat, perhaps providing some of the information since they have it, but look to these kinds of companies to ultimately provide it to the consumer? I've done a lot of thinking about that as well, because I think the government does have a role to play when you look at things like standardization, you know, standardization among platforms and things like that. But what we're relying on right now is the development of the technology that goes along with MOS and MOD is being developed by the private sector. What I think is critical in that balance between does the private sector operate it, does the public sector operate it, is really what the goals and objectives are for providing these types of tools for the traveler. So one example that I think about a lot is our discussion about making sure that transportation and services are sustainable and sustainable from, for example, an environmental perspective. And if that's the case, the government, whether it be a local or regional governmental entity, if they are looking at providing sustainable services for the public, they may take a stronger lead role in providing the platform that helps the travelers so that they can perhaps incentivize travelers to make a travel decision that is more environmentally friendly. If they have a different goal, it might make sense for the private sector to be leading the use of that platform. But I think it very much depends on the goals and objectives of a region. So I can kind of see it work both ways. We have a number of ITE members who are listening to this podcast, and they work in both the public and the private sectors. What do you think they can do to help accelerate the deployment of MOS and MOD strategies? I think... A lot of what can be done by folks at ITE and some of the other organizations that are really focusing some of their committee work on MAS and MOD is first really educating people outside of our bubbles, so to speak, where we spend a lot of our days talking about these issues, but we're talking amongst ourselves. We're not always talking to the greater public. When I talk to my friends about things like mobility as a service, it's a harder concept for them to grasp if they're not really a transportation professional. So I think we need to bring, it's sort of that capacity building to the public. I think we also need to build 
some understanding with some agencies that perhaps have not focused on these types of tools before, maybe a little more at the MPO level. And then I think once the word is out, there's an understanding of what these tools can do. I think then it's really helping to look at individual areas and really help decide, is this a tool that is going to help us solve our specific issues, transportation or mobility issues in a region? So there's certainly a lot of work to be done. And again, we're, we're learning a lot from these various pilots, but there are so many components to these kinds of tools. I think like ITE and other similar organizations, we can help people understand them and we can help people figure out when they should really be applied. We've been talking on this edition of ITE Talks Transportation with Carol Schweiger. She is the president of Schweiger Consulting, as well as co-chair of the TRB Committee on Innovative Public Transportation Services and Technologies. Carol, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you so much, Bernie. This was a really enjoyable experience. Thanks so much.